0: All right, listen, I'm trying to get out of Acts chapter 20, verse 29 through 30. <laughs> next, next week we will do that. <laughs> we'll get back to the book itself, but um, I, can't, I cannot let Paul tell me as a shepherd that I have to defend the flock from wolves without pointing out current wolfishness in the church at large so that you are all protected from that and can think through those issues. So today I'm going to spend actually a lot of time, so... Just uh, break out your thermoses and be ready. Okay, so, um, we, were, we were sitting in a hotel room in Jinja, Uganda, uh, the best hotel in town, probably a one star here. <laughs> Steve Van Horn, Chris Carr, and myself, and there was on TV um, this weird looking guy from Alabama. And all the hotel staff were glued to the t- They were gathered around up close to the TV watching this strange man from Alabama. Telling them that if they sent him one month's rent within one year they would own their old own home. And the Ugandans watching that probably made a dollar, maybe four or five dollars a day at, at the most working at the hotel. That was the first time I ever heard of God TV, which is the European version of Trinity Broadcasting Network TV in here, but there's a European version called God TV. I'd never heard of it before. And I don't know where they got this cheap-looking show from Alabama, but it was the last thing that Africans needed to hear about the gospel, about Christ. It was American poison being delivered to poor Africans through a European television network. I mean, just think about it. It just made me sick. All of us, it made us sick. But it's everywhere on the African continent now, this strange form of Christianity. Here's an African perspective by Diodone Tamfu. He's a professor at Bethlehem College and Seminary. I just want to read this for you. I live in Cameroon, where the prosperity gospel cannot be escaped. I recently preached a sermon on God's sovereignty and salvation at a Baptist conference. Immediately after I stepped down from the pulpit, I heard the next speaker shout, God's plan for you is success! I'm hoping someone saw the inconsistency. Recently, I visited a family to share the gospel. When I told them I had a fever and could not stay long, they all exclaimed, A man of God? Sick? A few weeks later, a woman asked me why I returned to Cameroon from the United States. I informed her that I came back to preach and teach the old and true gospel of Jesus because there were so many false gospels being preached. She asked what gospels I had in mind. I immediately sensed that that she was not comfortable. But carefully and clearly, I said that there are false gospels that promise riches, health, and well-being in this life and teach that Jesus is the means to those ends. To this, she made what for her was a solid argument. Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. We are not meant to suffer. God has not destined us for anything but riches and health. Suffering pain and poverty are not the portion of a true believer because Jesus died to purchase those things for us. I have many more stories like this. They are more than I can recount because there is nowhere to hide in West Africa from the American idols of health and wealth. They have infiltrated even Orthodox churches. Preachers who are faithfully teaching the gospel cannot reach into their members' homes and shut off the televisions that constantly broadcast healing and miracle crusades. So, what is Professor Tom Fu worried about? I mean, what is this really strange version of Christianity? Well, he calls it the prosperity gospel, and that's what we call it here as well. From a satanic point of view, it's just another way to draw people away from the real Jesus, to a a Jesus designed for them, designed for their worst impulses. But that's the name for it. So we've been talking about wolves attacking the church, something Paul warned the Ephesian elders about. And I'm going to just read it again, Acts 20, 29. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Satan always wants to confuse and deny and sidetrack people regarding Christ and the gospel of salvation. He uses false teachers to do that. Sometimes, as Paul says here, false teachers arise from our own midst. They claim to be us, part of us, but they are serving the other side. So last week we looked at the progressive gospel, which is a a movement that denies every major doctrine of the Christian faith while calling itself Christian and giving its leaders lofty churchy titles like most right reverend and things like that. So today we're looking at the prosperity gospel where the wolves are truly predatory, uh, but from within, within a narrow sliver actually of American Christianity. Well, it's actually a big sliver of American Christianity, but they've kind of come to dominate it in certain ways. According to surveys, 17% of Americans believe in some form of the prosperity gospel. 17%. That's like 50 million people. You wonder where all these TV networks come from? That's a lot of people's money. Pastor Tam Fu gives a definition to the prosperity gospel, and it's one of the best definitions I've ever heard. The prosperity gospel is an idolatrous perversion of the gospel according to which Jesus is a means to God's full blessings primarily of wealth, health and might. Now available to those who trust and obey certain faith principles (coughs) prescribed by a particular man of God or woman of God I would add because that's very often the case in the prosperity movement at least in this country. Um, You get that whole idea there? It's. Those things, wealth, health, and might, are now available to those who trust and obey certain faith principles prescribed given by these certain preachers or teachers. Man of God is the African phrase. Of course, the main thing that they prescribe for you to do is... You money. Yeah, <laughs> you've, you've seen them. Yeah, it's, no. to, s- it's to send them <laughs> money. It's to send them money. That's, that's the whole thing to it. The more you give, the more it demonstrates how much faith you have. Th- so the prosperity gospel is about wealth, health, and power. That God wants you God wants you wealthy and perfectly healthy and mighty. And if that isn't true of you, you need to do certain things to let the blessings of God flow so that you can claim these things for yourself. He wants it for you, after all. He never wants anyone sick. Or it's even taught that you need to realize your own divinity so that you can create your own reality and bring these things to you. So the prosperity gospel, it's not just false. It's the, it's the most cruel way of fleecing the flock of their last dollar than anyone has ever come up with. I mean, it's, it's brilliant. If you want to get everything out of the poorest of the poor, that's the way to do it. So like wolves, the prosperity gospel preachers pray on P-E-R-E-Y, pray, pray on human weakness. And lust and greed too because uh, sometimes they're, they're, what they're feeding is that impulse to have everything and you can have it by their way. Just like any con man does. It's the classic con. But when you can use Jesus to help you con people, it's a big plus because they already think well of him. Your wealth and your health depend on you and if it never works out what they promise, it's because you failed in faith somehow. There's always always the next promise then after you failed to believe and receive your good thing. There's the next breakthrough, there's the next season of blessing or outpouring that's gonna be revealed by the preacher and they always come up with some clever names. Paula White, um, who's a prosperity gospel preacher, she declared as a word from God, this is 2019, this is what she said on television, I prophetically decree and declare deliverance and prosperity are yours in 2019. This is the year you will inherit your promised land with obedience to the first fruits instruction and your faith. I believe your purpose, your year, your prosperity and power will release blessing upon your entire year. Amen? And I declare the weight that you've been carrying is lifted and every yoke broken off from you now. I decree that you are about to inherit the promised land. 2019 is a year of deliverance and prosperity for you. It begins right now with the biblical principles of first fruits. And then she explains how that's giving her money. And this is how she preached on the resurrection of Lazarus that day. So I'm going to activate my miracle by my obedience right now. I'm going to get up and go to the phone. She's telling you how you're supposed to think. When you do that, she says, and put a demand on the anointing, you're quote, going to make God get off his ivory throne. Now that's actually blasphemy, saying that. This is the woman President Trump picked to give his inaugural prayer when he became President of the United States. Don't you miss this moment. If you miss your moment, you'll miss your miracle. When Jesus raised Lazarus, according to the old King James version, his face was bound with a napkin. It's taken from um, John eleven forty four. 44. So everyone who sends $1,144, she'll send you a napkin. There's someone that God's speaking to out there. To click on that donation button by minimizing the screen. And when you do so, sow $1,144. It's not often I ask very specifically but God has instructed me and I want you to hear, this isn't for everyone but for this someone, of course if there's 20 someones she's got 30 grand. When you sow that $1,144 based on John 1144 I believe for resurrection life. Oh it's in the Bible what she's telling us to do. It's John eleven forty four. 44. You want to know what that verse says? The man who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said unto them unbind him and let him go. How did that come out of that? <laughs> That doesn't say anything about money, or sewing, or Paula White, or... The level of scripture twisting that these people do to bilk people is pure evil. It is pure evil. They rip a scripture completely out of context, and Paula loves to make a big deal about numbers like The numbers of the verses you know that happened you know they didn't have numbers in the verses until the Middle Ages it has nothing to do with the Bible it's just convenience. But she makes this thing the Holy Spirit told her blah blah blah. And she has the audacity to say that God personally instructed her to misuse the story of the resurrection of Lazarus to get money out of people. So that method of manipulating people is really common. Really comes goes on all the time. It's the same basic trick. You can turn on any of those shows and they're all doing the same thing, just like the Weird Alabama guy was doing. With most heresies or cults or movements, there are, there's like historical examples. It's like the Jehovah's Witnesses are kind of a rehash of the Aryans and there's always some kind of a thing going on, you know, that's been going on all through. I can't think of any historical examples of people twisting Christianity like the prosperity gospel does it. It's such a weird, unique thing. There might be some. I'm just not aware of them. It's so contrary to scripture and the teaching of Jesus. That's why I think nobody, how how would you even fit it in? How could you come up with that? But they do, it's uniquely American. That's where it started, it started here. And there's reasons for that. Um, Two things make false religions arise in America. One is that we have religious freedom. So there's nobody to tap down the craziest people. You can create any religion as weird as you want. That's why Mormonism is a global religion that started here. Jehovah's Witness is a global religion that started here. Um, All of that stuff. Christian science. uh, All of that. America. The second thing is America is the land of opportunity. And you can reasonably dream as an American to become wealthy. That's not been true of most people throughout all the ages. But here your dreams. Your intellect. Your talent are the only limits on your success. We say. I mean that's the American dream. Right? So sadly that means t- this is also the land of opportunists and swindlers and cheats because that's an easier way. Where did the phrase there's a sucker born every minute come from? Well America. <laughs> Goes all the way back to the 1800's. So t- to use religion at the expense of other people is, th- is a natural fruit of American prosperity in the hands of wicked people. They're just taking this American dream and wicked people are using it to enrich themselves at the disadvantage of other people. So two very different things allow the prosperity gospel to flourish. And I mentioned them, one is greed, but the, the other one is desperation. People are really desperate. When you're sick for a long period of time or somebody you care about and love is disabled or sick for a long, long time, you're desperate. When you're poor all the time, very poor, You're desperate. And somebody comes along. And makes you all kinds of promises. And use Jesus to do it. It's powerful. So when did the prosperity gospel start? It's kind of new. It started in the early 20th century. Its roots go back to what's called new thought. New thought cults. New thought was another 19th century cult. Like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. And all of that. And new thought was a way of healing your body with your mind. This was kind of the idea. Your mind is over everything and you, by saying certain things or focusing in a certain way, you can get rid of all illness out of your body. That's how it really started. And Christian Science, you know, Mary Baker Eddy, that whole movement there, that just came right out of that. That's a religious version of this. The basic idea is we're sick only because we think certain ways and bad thoughts and illness and death are really illusions and we can overcome that by by using our mind. So. Others took it beyond illness and started, in the American way, started using it to talk about enriching yourself. There was a book published in 1897. It's called In Tune with the Infinite. It sounds so deep, right? And it was, it was not a religious book, really, but um, this is the principle. And just see if this sounds familiar, if you've ever watched a gospel preacher, prosperity gospel preacher on TV. If one holds themselves in the thought of poverty, they will be poor, and the chances that they will remain in poverty. If one holds themselves, whatever present conditions may be, continually in the thought of prosperity, they set into operation forces that will sooner or later bring them into a prosperous condition. Very big book. It sold millions of copies in the United States. Henry Ford was ch- challenged by this book and kind of built his empire on the principles of this positive thinking kind of principles to enrich himself. And, and that kind of grew in the middle of the 20th century. It was Norman Vincent Peale. You know the power of positive thinking. He was a minister. We'd never talked about Jesus. But. Um, <laughs> and it showed up later. In Robert Schuler, You know the uh, hour of power on TV show. Turn your scars into stars. That guy. And uh, he declared. He actually wrote a book called. Self Esteem. The New Reformation. And that's the guy who had a glass cathedral. Now it's a Catholic church. Pentecostalism started in 1906. And some people. Not all. Some people within the Pentecostal movement blended with their excitement over the Holy Spirit concepts with these new thought beliefs that were very common in the culture. It's always somebody in the church grabbing what's going on in the culture today and bringing it in. So they started combining these things. So there's a guy named E.W. Kenyon, very popular at the time, Pentecostal minister. He really created the Christian version of new thought, cultism, with this doctrine he called Word of Faith. W-O-F, Word of Faith. You've probably heard that many times if you are around those circles. He wrote, I know that I am healed because God said that I'm healed and it makes no difference what the symptoms may be in my body. What I confess, I possess. That's sort of the key. That's the new thought part entering in a Christian ver- Christianized version of the new thought idea. What I confess, I possess. And that's where the term positive confession comes from. Name it and claim it. Joel Osteen talks that way all the time. That's, his, that's, that's who he is. He's that guy. Kenneth Hagan, who's called the granddaddy of the word faith movement, took Kenyon's ideas and kind of added to them. He said, you always get in your life what you believe for and what you say. And he also added an extremely blasphemous teaching that we are actually little gods. And he said, those who are born again, quote, are as much the incarnation of God as Jesus of Nazareth which is a blasphemous thing to say. Kenneth Hagen's student, so you go Kenyon, Hagen, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Copeland says you don't have a God living in you, you are one. So the idea is since we are gods like Jesus, no difference between us and Him really, we can create reality with our mouths. I mean God spoke the whole universe into the existence with His mouth, right? So we can do that too. Now it is extremely completely blasphemous but that's really what they teach and it's very popular. Kenneth Hagin's ideas were widely disseminated through a magazine called the Word of Faith and he founded Rhema Bible Training College in 1974. Rhema is a Hebrew word for word. So the Word of Faith. And he invented another doctrine which is still maintained by people in that world that that hold to those beliefs. He said the shed blood of Christ on the cross is not sufficient for salvation. He wasn't adding works, he actually punished Jesus more um, in his mind. Now, here's what the Bible says. Okay, let's just talk about the Bible for a second. If you wanna take a note, just write these verses down. Hebrews 9.22 says, all things are cleansed by blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's what we believe. 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Now, what cleanses us from all sin? Thank you, good. You're listening? The blood of Jesus his son. Romans 5, 9. Much more than having now been justified before God. By his blood we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. What saves us from the wrath of God through him? His blood. That's right, exactly right. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And through him Jesus to reconcile all things to himself having made peace through the blood of his cross. <laughs> through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. So there's no deficiency in the blood of Jesus Christ there's a lot of texts like that but that was not enough for Mr. Hagen he taught that Jesus had to die spiritually and he said quote spiritual death also means having Satan's nature so he says that Jesus took Satan's nature and became satanic and he went to hell and suffered in hell and at the end of his suffering in hell then he was born again and he was the first person to be born again because he had this satanic nature. Now no, no that's not right. (laughs) Even a novice Christian knows that at the end of Jesus suffering on the cross he said it is finished. In fact he turned, before he said that he turned to the thief on the cross that professed faith in him and he said today I will be with you in paradise not burning in hell. So it's pretty easy to kind of push that teaching aside but it's taught, it's common Jesus did not need to be born again, Jesus was not a sinner more importantly he's God (laughs) in human flesh right? So prosperity preachers really have a low view of the divinity of Christ because they raise themselves up to that same level of divinity when they say I'm a God too or there's no difference between me and Jesus of Nazareth. Todd White, I don't know if you know who he is. He's got long dreadlocks and um, kind of a strange character. He's a prosperity preacher. He recently went on and on in a sermon. It's painful to watch. It's really painful to watch. He, he, he's talking, he says, On the tree, Jesus became a gossip. On the tree Jesus became a child molester. On the tree Jesus became a hater of God. Now this wasn't just verbal gymnastics saying you know Christ bore our sins. He, He was not saying that. He was going beyond that. He was teaching this doctrine. Jesus became these things. That's not right. Jesus on the cross was holy. He's the son of God. He's bearing the sin of uh, our sin. He's not becoming a sinner. He's not becoming a child molester or a nazi or anything like that. He was holy. He's the spotless lamb of God, bearing the penalty of our sin on the tree. He he never took on a sinful nature. But the born again Jesus doctrine is a really common uh, part of these circles, these wolves. That they teach people. So we've got the word of faith. Positive confession. The little God's doctrine. The born again Jesus doctrine. Those are all thoroughly. Heretical. Ideas. And that's all been pointed out. To these people. I mean. Orthodox people have talked to these people. And they, they still. They don't care what you have to say. There's one more key component. In the prosperity gospel. And that is the seed faith doctrine. And that was added by. Another disciple of these guys. Oral Roberts. I don't know if you remember Oral Roberts. If you're older you remember him. He's the guy that tried to build a hospital, um, the City of Faith, instead of the City of Hope, he had built the City of Faith. And he, he, he was a horrible businessman, so now it's just a business center. Uh, it died, it was only up for eight years or so. But he was the guy that said Jesus would kill him if you didn't send him money to finish the hospital. You remember that? It was on the national news. He saw a 900 foot tall Jesus and Jesus said, You'll, you're gonna die if your people don't send the money to build this hospital. So he got it built, but it died anyway. But his, his key thing this is how the preacher gets rich seed faith. You sow a seed to me, and you will reap the benefits from all of this. Now, if you sub- decide to support Act in Faith Bible Church financially, I make no promises. <laughs> there might be a depression, and you'll lose your job. Easily could happen. <laughs> but here's the title of his book, so you can just kind of tell. If you need healing, do these things. Now see to me that would be a one page book. Pray and seek God and ask him to heal you. If he does, that's wonderful. If he doesn't, he intends for you to suffer. That's my page. (laughs) He's got a whole book. Do these things. Next book, The Miracle of Seed Faith. Send me money, you'll be blessed. The next book, Successful Living Through Seed Faith. So he just went on and on with that whole shtick. Seed faith is you give to get. And you always give to the prosperity preacher. Well, why, why? Because, well, God speaks to them and they have this special anointing and all of that. You always have to sow seed to them. They never say, you know what? Why don't you just sow seed to the poor this month? You give to the poor. You give to your local church. You give to a charity in your hometown and God will answer your prayers. This is the year of prosperity for you. 2019, you give to the poor all year and God, they never say that, ever say that always send it to them minimize your screen click on the donate button right now it's all there in John 11:44. 44 <laughs> so let's review the main ideas here real quick God wants me be rich and healthy Oral Roberts actually said um, this was the verse that changed his life John 3rd John the little tiny book 3rd John verse 2 beloved I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. There it is. Jesus wants us to prosper in all respects and in health even as our soul prospers. That's my verse. I'm gonna build my life on that verse. That was it. Right there in the Bible, God wants you to prosper. Does it say that in that verse? He says, I pray that you may prosper. He doesn't say God wants you to prosper. He says, I pray that you may prosper. In fact, it's not a declaration. It's not a teaching. It's, it's really just a prayer for God to bless them. It's a letter. And it's actually the greeting in the letter. He's like, I hope you folks are doing well. That's all that means. It's a letter. It's like live long and prosper. (laughs) It's a greeting. It's a a prayer. It's a nice prayer. It's a good prayer. I pray that your your health will prosper even as your soul. It's a wonderful prayer. But that's all it is. It's a prayer. It's not a promise. The second thing is Jesus died for my diseases and my wallet. Prosperity teacher Bill Johnson up at Bethel writing, we'll talk about him in a minute. When Jesus bore stripes in his body, he made a payment for our miracle. He already decided to heal. You can't decide not to buy something after you've already bought it. There are no deficiencies on his end. Neither the covenant is deficient nor his compassion or promises. All lack is on our end of the equation. Here's where the guilt trip comes in. You're not made well. Something is wrong with you. Because He did it. He bore your sicknesses on the cross. No. No. He hasn't already decided to heal. He has decided to, you, to heal you ultimately. If I die up here in the pulpit I will be healed. <laughs> Paul had a thorn in his flesh he said from Satan to keep him from exalting himself. He prayed three times that God would remove that thorn from his flesh and God said no my grace is sufficient because he needed that humility so Paul spent his ministry life suffering physical affliction. That was God's choice for him the Bible does not teach that we have already purchased healing or prosperity in this life or health. It's quite the opposite. But didn't G- Jesus die for my diseases? You know, there are faithful Christians who disagree about in what sense Christ's atonement. Might go beyond just sin. And include some kind of level of physical health. There are at least there are a few words in Isaiah 53. That would allow for someone to claim that there's some level of healing in the atoning death of Christ for people. I mean you can't say it's not in any way in the scripture. There is there are words. Now I think those words are still talking about sin. Just look at the context of them. But. It's certainly true, definitely I already read to you Colossians two nineteen through 20. It's certainly true that in the consummation of all things we will all be healed by the atonement of Christ. All of the universe is going to be reconciled to God through the atonement of Christ. So that's true. But there's no text, there's not any verse, there's no word, there's no hint that Christ died for our bank account. <laughs> or that he died for your dreams of riches and glory. He did not do that. Now Jesus did talk about riches. Jesus did remark on how difficult it is for a rich man to get into heaven. He did say that. He did say beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. He did say that. For not even when one has an abundance, of his, uh, has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. He told of a man who was building bigger barns to store all his stuff. He talked about a man like that and he said he lost his soul because he was not rich toward God. He did say do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven for where your treasure is there will your heart be also. He said that. He did say the word of God is choked out to unfruitfulness by the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. He did say that. He did say no servant can serve two masters for either or he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. He did say that. He said all of this. And while he loved rich people as he did all men, he never once told anybody, anybody ever to seek after riches. Ever. On the contrary, He said quite clearly that the best thing you can do with your riches is to give it away. That's what he said. He never described great wealth as a sign of God's favor. He only warned of its dangers. That's it. Jesus our Lord did not say one good word about material prosperity only that God would take care of the food and clothing of those who put his kingdom first. That's all he promised. And yet all of these prosperity preachers hoard millions they live in palaces they live like the 1% in every way you know the best $20,000 a night rooms you go to in some super place in Europe and all that stuff those are the places they stay. They're not just rich they're ridiculously rich. Mm -hmm. And that they do that by making false promises to people who are poor or chronically ill. And they know that that's what they're doing. They mock and use the cross of Christ to take money from the poor. I can't think of anything more evil than that. I'm sure there are equal evils than that, but I can't think of any. Jesus did not die for our prosperity on the earth. He died for our sins, which is way better. Eventually his atonement will reconcile all of creation to God and the curse will be lifted. But it's not lifted yet. We're all subject to the curse. If you want to know if the apostles claimed health over all disease. There's a little half a sentence in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 20. Where Paul tells Timothy. Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. Just think about those words. Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. He doesn't say you know Timothy I tried to heal him and it didn't happen I don't know what's going on he must not have faith. (laughs) He doesn't apologize he's not embarrassed. He didn't claim that he tried to heal him he just says Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. We cannot claim healing because God always wants that because he doesn't always want that. And we can't speak healing as though we're gods because we're certainly not gods. Next thing they believe is that I am like God and that my words have creative power. So I'm just reviewing here. Paula White says there's a creative power in your mouth right now. God spoke and created the universe. You have creative power to speak life and death. If you believed God, you can create anything in your life. No. No. We don't have authority or power or anything like that to do that. In Romans 4.17 Paul is describing the faith of Abraham who who believed the promises that God gave him. He's the great father of our faith. And it says he believed in God, quote, in God who gives gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. God is so powerful, he created the universe out of nothing. That's amazing. That's who God is. Kenneth Copeland takes Romans 4.17 and literally stands it on its head. He said, quote, I have the God nature in me. I have the nature to call things that be not as though they were. That's blasphemy. There's, there's, there isn't a word in the Bible to support any kind of kooky notion like that. We're not gods. We are redeemed men. Mere creatures. 4. God needs my cooperation to accomplish anything. This is from Paula White again. It is illegal for God to do anything on the earth unless he partners with somebody. No. No. God can do whatever he wants. Psalm 135 6, the Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on earth and the seas and in all their depths. She blasphemes God when she says that. But 17% of Americans are drawn to this theology, these ideas. Okay. I'm gonna go long, okay? I have to talk about a, a more, an even more insidious version of the Prosperity Gospel. And this is a little newer, and this is called the New Apostolic Reformation. It's more than a con job. It's, it's an unbiblical ideology that has designs on taking over the world. It's big. Now, they're not going to take over the world. Um, Bill Johnson, who's a major leader of the New Apostolic Reformation, has been trying to take over Redding, California for years. And he's really not doing a very good job. <laughs> But one of the movement's founders is C. Peter Wagner. If you've never heard that name, if um, you ever heard of a vineyard church, there's a big one in Lancaster, the, the vineyard movement. He was a big part of the founding of that with John Wimber. John Wimber was kind of open to these works of the Holy Spirit, but John Wimber hated the prosperity gospel people. He thought that was so corrupt, and he, he just saw right through it. So, but he died. C. Peter Wagner was his buddy. He taught at at Fuller Seminary and he helped found that vineyard movement. But then when, and I don't know what happened in terms of time frame. But when John Wimber passed from the scene, C. Peter Wagner went crazy. And so he's he's the one that started this new apostolic reformation thing. Um, A key leader in it anyway. Now he declares himself to be an apostle. Not just an apostle, but a grand apostle. In fact, he is the presiding apostle of the International Coalition of Apostles. Now in the South they used to have a saying, he sure is a tonic to himself. Well that's, <laughs> <laughs> when you start giving yourself titles like that, that's, that's kinda like that. what that is. Anyway, I'm gonna quote him a bunch. So he wrote a book called, Is This Scriptural? Which is a great question. So he says, NAR, that's the new apostolic reformation. NAR embraces the largest non-Catholic segment of world Christianity, yes probably the entire African continent is one of those places, South America too. It's also the fastest growing segment and the only segment of Christianity currently growing faster than the world population. So what makes this unique? Well he says in 2001 the body of Christ entered into the second apostolic age. So the first apostolic age was when Peter and John and Paul were walking around. Now we're entering into 2001. So there are new apostles on the earth today they're anointed by the laying on of hands to represent and speak for God on the earth they are equal in authority with the original apostles so their authority cannot be questioned he says we're in the second apostolic age and in the government of the church must be in, the government of the church must be in place with apostles and prophets which brings us to the dominion mandate he says dominion mandate what's that Well he describes it. Our theological bedrock is what has been known as dominion theology. This means that our divine mandate is to do whatever is necessary, that's a scary phrase, by the power of the Holy Spirit to retake the dominion of God's creation which Adam forfeited to Satan in the Garden of Eden. It is nothing less than seeing God's kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we used to wait for Jesus for that. They call this the seven mountains mandate. Seven things that have to be taken over. Government, media, entertainment, education, business, family, and religion. Now if godly people took over all those institutions, I would be very happy. I would not be happy if these guys took over all of those institutions. Dominion has to do with control, he says. Dominion has to do with rulership. Dominion has to do with authority and subduing as it relates to society. In other words, what the values are in heaven need to be made manifest here on earth. Dominion means being the head and not the tail. Dominion means ruling as kings. So if you just listen to them teach, they don't emphasize the gospel, the death of Jesus Christ for sin. They emphasize building the kingdom of heaven on earth. That's what they're all about. I am going to show you a, a video in a minute um, of some of the stuff that, that goes on with this. I've actually I've actually never heard an NAR preacher actually preach the gospel. Now maybe they do and I don't hear about it, but um, I've never heard one. Here he goes. This is about wealth. If you check back through human history, you will find that three things more than any others have produced social transformation. Violence, knowledge, and wealth. And the greatest of these is wealth. My sense is that we are looking at unbelievable quantities of wealth moving from control of the kingdoms of darkness to the control of the kingdom of God. Next principle, they totally reject what we call sola scriptura, that the Bible is our only authority. His second apostolic age apostles are just as authoritative as Peter and Paul. Here's his words. Some object to the notion that God communicates directly with us, supposing that everything that God wanted to reveal, he revealed in the Bible. This cannot be true however. He also reveals new things to the prophets. Now the worst element of this, and there's lots, but the worst is that the, the Bethel Redding Church, which is sort of the heartbeat of that in Redding, California, they put out a new Bible. It's called the Passion Translation. A guy named Brian Simmons is the main translator. He has a man who has no credentials whatsoever to translate Greek and Hebrew into the Word of God. He says he was a Bible translator when he was on the mission field in South America but they talked to his mission director and the people that worked with him they said we well, didn't do that and the mission director said he never translated anything that's not his job he was a church planter so he kind of is not entirely honest about that but we're going to show you um, a video right now this is him on a sh- a, a, a show called Sid, Sid Roth's show so go ahead and play that for me would you listen to him about how he came to do this
1: translation Jesus Christ came into my room he breathed on me It felt like heaven's wind, the ruach, the breath, the wind of God that came upon me. And he spoke to me and said, I'm commissioning you you to translate translate the Bible Bible into the translation project that I'm giving you to do. do. And And he promised that he would help me. And he promised me he would give me secrets of the Hebrew language. Do you believe when he blew on you, there was an impartation for revelation? I do. I believe the spirit of revelation was given. And and I I have to say, when he breathed on me, in no way would I want to compare that to the uh, writers of the New Testament, the original writers, uh, you know, Moses and the Torah and Ezekiel. He breathed on me so that I would do the project and, and I felt downloads coming instantly. I received downloads. It was like I got a chip put inside of me. I got a connection inside of me to hear him better, to understand the scriptures better, and hopefully to translate. Are you finding that when people read uh, the translation you're working on, that it almost does a mind bypass and goes directly into the heart? I think that's a brilliant way to say it. The poetic language, of Hebrew and Aramaic release something inside of us. It, it's it's divine, it is full of revelation, there's flavor. It, it's not, it's like thinking with your heart. It's like heart level to heart level, spirit to spirit, deep calling out to deep. Passion is the operative word. Yeah,
0: passion is the operative word. Um, so now the New Apostolic Reformation has their own Bible downloaded while a guy was in heaven, a, an amateur who knows nothing about Bible translation. Now nobody in 2000 years has dared, dared to make any kind of claim about a translation like that. So you have a choice because, c- because if what he said is true, we all need to join the New Apostolic Reformation, right? Because Jesus took him to heaven. By the way, Jesus' hair is not that long. but. Um, <laughs> We, we should all join it or it's bogus. It, there's, thankfully there's no middle ground because if that really happened then we all have to get the passion translation and do everything they say and bow before their apostles and do all of that. <laughs> if it's not true, all of it is bogus because this guy's just a total blowhard liar weirdo. It gets weirder than that. He actually says later on in the same show, he says Jesus told him he could take two books out of the heavenly library. And then he said but he found a third book he really wanted to take. And he says, well, what was it? What was the title? And Jesus said, you can't take it now. You can take it later. (laughs) What was the title? John 22. Now, if you know, the Gospel of John has 21 chapters in it. So Jesus is waiting to give Brian Simmons another chapter of the Bible. That's pretty twisted. I hope he's never so arrogant as to create more scripture that he's going to add to the Bible. But that's what he says is coming. So they created their very own inaccurate translation. Now um, NAR leaders and prosperity teachers have started to combine. They're kind of separate movements, but the person that brought them together is Benny Hinn. He actually had family marry into the NAR people, so now they've they worked together, they minister together. Which is really perfect. Because right at the time this was happening, God raised up Kosti Hinn, who is Benny Hinn's nephew. I know him personally. And in your bulletin there, there's recommendations of sources from Kosti Hinn. Kosti came to the Lord, gave up the $20,000 a night hotels and his fancy supersonic cars and all of the stuff he bought with all of his, all the money stolen from poor people through Benny Hinn's ministry. And he is the godliest guy. He's the most humble guy. sweethearted guy. Loves his family. But told Benny Hinn to his face. He needed the Lord. And he was in great sin. And th- it's, a, it's a wonderful story. So uh, check out those things there. But anyway. Um, I have to show you one more video. This is a little bit longer. But Bill Johnson. The Redding guy. Is in this next video. And Che On. An, he's the Asian um, at least part Asian guy that's standing in the middle doing a lot of talking he's an apostle of today okay so we're going to show you this this is from Bethel's Transformation Now conference June 12th 2020 and they're going to end racism they're going to bring a, a racism in the church to an end so let's see how they do it Just
1: <coughs>
2: You know, we're going to do some binding and loosening. And one of the things that I've learned in the last, maybe around 10 years, that apostles have authority to make decrees and declaration and and something that God gives. And I've seen it work in so many practical ways. Well, Pastor Marlene got a prophetic vision right before this event, and she saw us doing a prophetic act that was going to be very, very historic. So thank you for hanging in there and staying with us, but I believe that this is a very crucial time. So why don't you share your vision that we'll do the Apostolic Decree. Amen.
3: Okay, so I am an artist, I told you this. One of the movies that has really touched my heart is Lord of the Rings. Now, everybody understands, if you know Lord of the Rings, everybody understands what's in my hand. (laughs) Everybody understands what's in my hand. And during this process, I've been asking God, show me the act, show me the act. Let me understand what you were saying. And when Pastor Bill started speaking, I saw the father's heart just opening his arms, opening his arms. And then when Papa Che came forward, I saw the Christ and the sacrifice he did with the Korean community and with the black community during the LA riots. And then when I heard, pastor Ed speak I heard what happened with the ecclesia the ecclesia being the tool of the Holy Spirit active in the community and then I heard pastor pastor Terry coming and speaking for the african-american community and I heard myself speak why he asked me to do that normally I would only be scriptures but the Lord told me I needed to repent for the participation I had with the racist spirit in America so I'm gonna ask us right now to all grab a hold of this in our hand every single one of us but from the father right here we are going to lift the staff and we will command the spirit not only to leave but that he shall not pass now if you heard what Apostle Savosa said, he said that you need to oil your door. So I encourage you, if you haven't done this in the proper order, you must put oil in your door and then go in front and repeat this act with us, that the spirit of racism may leave your house, whether you participated as a victim or as someone who did it. We all did it. For our country to be where it is right now, we all did it. But we will say together, no more, no more, No No more. more. So, on the count of three. Oh, I'm sorry. We have to sit. sit.
2: Well, two things. I think it's important for you to share the vision of Gandalf putting the stake down because that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh,
3: okay. So, for those of you who didn't see the movie, so this happens in the Fellowship.
2: Come on.
3: In the Fellowship of the Ring. In the Fellowship of the Ring, at some point, Gandalf stands up and he is in the middle of this, this tomb type of place. And the demon that's been holding court there has, has killed everyone. Pretty much that used to live there. It was the dwarves. He's killed them all. And at when the demon comes after Gandalf, even the demons flee, Mm. the demons flee. They start climbing the walls. And out of nowhere, Gandalf realizes the only thing that will stop this demon is if he stands there and confronts it, toe-to-toe, eye-to-eye, and tells him this is the line. And the demon is in full authority, in full manifestation of its presence. It's just roaring in front of Gandalf. And Gandalf stands in his authority in front of the demon And says it. The first time he hits it and it doesn't happen. The second time Gandalf does it again and still the demon is not obeying. And at the third time Gandalf puts both of his hands on the staff and he said, I said. And he hits it. And that authority is what we are talking about that can only be released by an apostolic decree. The authority must be given. And that's why I revealed what we heard tonight. So, Amen. is that clear? Yeah.
2: Thank yeah. okay. So, please stand up with us so if you can stand because you're standing in authority because you're all kings and priests and all of us, we're an apostolic people. Mm-hmm. So, as an apostolic team with the authority that God's given to us, we decree and declare yeah. that racism well, and it's over in the ecclesia from this night forward in Jesus' mighty name. Let's lift it up and bang it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, give him a praise yes. over. Repeat
3: with us. Thou shall not pass. pass. No more. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. 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 I'm sorry, we did it twice. We need one more. One more. We need you to agree with us. Okay. On the count of three, on three, shout with us. One, two, three. Thou shalt not pass. the name of Jesus Christ.
0: I know, I know. I apologize, I did it to you last week too, didn't I? Um, There's two possibilities. One is that they are real apostles and they just ended racism in the ecclesia, the <laughs> church. <laughs> the other possibility is that's the silliest, most childish thing you've ever seen happen in a church. <laughs> yeah. So it's one of those two. It's one of those two. Because if they are really apostles, then getting inspiration from a fantasy movie uh, is, is perfectly normal. How could apostles imitate the actions of a movie wizard And NAR is full of occult practices, They all kinds of stuff. It's normal for them. There's much weirder stuff, but that one was recent, so I thought I'd share that with you. And I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) This is the inevitable fruit of people who emphasize supernatural manifestations instead of the gospel. So I started today talking about Africa. Um, The prosperity gospel has corrupted Christianity in Africa almost thoroughly. We fed them this poison. And NAR is all over the world. Only now, only now in Africa is there really a serious effort by Bible Christians to take it on. And that's one reason we support Steve Van Horn in Africa because he does so much good work there. But it's just starting to be talked about, you know, because it's so completely there. Even guys I know in Africa, not Pastor Paul, but there's other pastors in Africa, they're touched by it. I see it, you know, I'm. Facebook friends with a lot of them and they go to these things, these conferences and stuff and do some of the same stuff and um, only now is the effort really beginning in earnest to save that. But it's bigger elsewhere around the world than it is even here because we have such a strong history of Bible-centered Christianity here. It's born out of a true Reformation, the real Reformation, the Bible Reformation. So I could tell you so much more of it but as as a pastor, I could not (laughs) preach Acts 20 and not talk about the wolves that we're dealing with today in the world. So next week we'll be back in Acts and let me, uh, let me finish with the words of a true apostle, an eyewitness of the Lord's ministry, the man who leaned his breast on the Lord's chest at the Last Supper, a man who witnessed the resurrection, which is a requirement to be a true apostle. 1 John 4.1 Beloved, do not believe every spirit now spirit in the new testament is a is a catchword for manifestations of the spirit paul uses that for the gifts in 1 corinthians just calls it spirits that's what that is do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from god because many false prophets have gone out into the world that's the warning of a true apostle about these kinds of things let's pray Lord Jesus, you you yourself warned of false prophets as history begins to come to a close. You said they would, if possible, deceive even the elect. So give us, our dear Savior, such a love for your word and the true gospel, your shed blood for sin, that we would never be led astray from that, no matter what we are promised. They have found a formula to lure your people into madness, pursuing what you have not promised and diminishing the wonder of our salvation from sin, which Jesus purchased with his blood. So keep us, Lord, steadfast in the gospel, always. We ask in your name. Amen.